RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Foyd. That is Daniel Galvan. Appreciate checking out the MA Report Podcast. Of course, we come to you two times a week on Sunday, the interview edition of the show, which, by the way, coming up on this Sunday's edition, I am scheduled to be joined by former Bellator featherweight and now bare knuckle fighter Daniel Strauss. So looking forward to talking to Daniel later on this week. But, of course, we are here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, talk a little bit more on takeaways from UFC 285. Also, we'll get into this week's mixed martial arts action. You got Bellator on Friday, the kickoff of the Bellator Lightweight World Grand Prix. Also on Saturday, we got UFC Las Vegas, a fight card in front of fans as the UFC will be fighting in front of the fans now for the next couple of weeks, which is always a great thing to see. And also we'll talk about some news and notes, uh, which uh, one of them is we got a flyweight fight booked in Bellator. Daniel, good afternoon, man. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing absolutely great. I am doing awesome. I'm excited for the week. It's March. March Madness is coming up. And yeah, we've got a great week of MMA in front of us. Bellator, UFC, double shot. I'm excited for it. I'm sure I'm doing a whole lot better than Cyril gone right now. Oh, my God, Jason. I tell you what, as soon as we got done recording that podcast, I watched some of the UFC Embedded. I read Mark Raimondi's story on ESPN about how John Jones prepared for this fight. And I immediately regretted my pick and surreal gone to win that fight. I felt like, oh, my God, this guy has been working hard. He did it the right way. And the one thing you mentioned on last week's podcast, well, it came to fruition. If Francis could take down surreal, why not Jones? And Jason, uh, you were Nostradamus last week. Yeah, you know, all last week, you know, John Jones was talking about how this was a mismatch. This was going to be easy. And that to me is the way you describe it. I talked about it on Sunday's podcast. I said, man, John Jones made that look easy with what he was able to do. And, and some of the things I, I've taken in since I did the show on Sunday is the video that Henry Cejudo put out where they went over exactly that scenario in what to do. Also, I saw a video yesterday of Alexa Grosso and her team working on that finishing sequence in the back right before the matchup. It just shows, you know, and I think one of the things I really, I took in last week that really just stuck out to me was how much you saw the preparations that Jones was putting into this. And, you know, there was a comment he made, I want to say it was on Embedded, where he talked about like, he goes, I don't understand why guys don't watch film. He goes, this is part of the homework process. You're trying to figure out the tendencies of the fight. And, you know, one of the things that, and I went back and watched the fight a second time. And I think one of the things that really stuck out to me the second time, and I know some other people have kind of pointed this out too, is it just looked like the moment got to surreal gone when he walked that cage and he was standing there and he's waiting for John to make his walk. It just the, the look on his face looked like maybe the moment had gotten to him. And I think that's the narrative, and I think it's a correct narrative because it extends to his other fight against Francis. And that's kind of why I feel really bad for Surreal Gan is because I believe he is one of the best stand-up fighters, if not the best striker at heavyweight. In fact, I would say he is the best striker at heavyweight. The casual fan who watches pay-per-views can only think of Surreal Gan and their memories of him is losing 
that fight against Francis after he was well on his way to win it, just kind of, you know, falling towards the end. And then all he did against John Jones was kick him in the ding dong and then lost. So a casual fan's idea of who Cyril Ghan is as a fighter is really, really different than I think what a hardcore mixed martial shorts fan thinks of him and his talent level. So that's why I feel so bad for him is that when the light shined brightest, he failed in dramatic fashion. And he is at an age, Jason, in the heavyweight division at 32, where he can have a second run and maybe challenge for the title again. But for him going forward, there are two major things he needs to work on. Obviously, the wrestling defense and mentally being strong and performing like he does when the lights are brightest. Because you are right. He just looked like the moment got to him. I don't know if he was shocked that John Jones had put on like 40 pounds. And I was certainly stunned, you know, just seeing John Jones. It's just weird to see John Jones look the way he does after we had seen his entire light heavyweight run, Jason. But um, yeah, man, it was a, a very sad moment for Cyril Ghosn. But it was a moment where John Jones legitimately solidified himself as the best fighter of all time with the caveats being that he has a history of of testing for performance enhancing uh, stuff. Yeah. You know, Daniel Cormier kind of talked about that as why he, he mentioned why it is tough for him because I mean, look, there's always going to be people that have that asterisk out there. And, and I mentioned this on Sunday's podcast, Luke Thomas had a tweet where it's like, if you do not consider John Jones, the greatest fighter of all time, you got to really look at this. The guy took three years off, went up a weight class and went out there and beat the number two heavyweight in the world and made it look easy. It took him two minutes. And, you know, one of the thoughts I had was, I was saying about this yesterday, I was, I was driving to the office, and, and I'm thinking about kind of the heavyweight division, and I'm like, Surreal Gone got beat by Francis Ngannou in a 25-minute decision when Francis Ngannou had a bad leg. What would John Jones do to Francis Ngannou? Like, I don't think it goes much different. No, other than the fact that if Francis catches John Jones, Francis can put anyone to sleep. Even a humpback whale, if it comes out of the ocean and Francis hits that right, humpback whale's going to sleep. Other than that, John Jones is probably going to have a whole lot of success against Francis, except for the power of Francis. And obviously, if these two were lined up, it would be a huge fight. I would pick John Jones. There isn't a single fighter that there's not a single human being on the planet right now that I would pick against John Jones in John's next fight. Literally not a single human being in a mixed martial arts fight. He 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 passed every test of flying color. And, and again, he is one of the biggest what-ifs in mixed martial arts history, and he's still the best of all time. Look at that three-year absence. Imagine what he could have done to his resume within those three years to continue to bolster it. Imagine what some of his lackluster performances against Gustafs and Santos and Reyes would have looked like if he was as locked in as he is now. It is really crazy. And the, a great comparison for John Jones was made on Bill Simmons' podcast when he brought on Ariel. And Bill compared him to Lawrence Taylor of football fame in that Lawrence obviously had a lot of demons, but he was still the best defender of all time. And John in the embedded has looked like he's really figured things out with the caveat being we have seen him push this narrative that he's figured things out only to do something wrong afterwards. 
hopefully he has now that he's 35. It kind of felt like the whole part of the embedded thing was to really put over the fact that John Jones is a changed man, an adult. It's hard not to think that when you see his gray hair and his beard. Um, one random thought I had watching the embedded was obviously he's, he doesn't need the money. But I do think John Jones could be a really good broadcaster. He has a really good sense of talking. And I would be interested to see what his post-UFC career is. Because even though this is a man who has had a lot of – made a lot of mistakes, committed quite a few crimes in his past, when he does speak, it is interesting and entertaining. And I was eating up every single one of those UFC embeddings. The one person I felt bad for – on Saturday night, it's not surreal gone. It's not maybe Jamie Pickett. We'll talk about Jamie Pickett here in a moment. The person I felt bad for was Megan O'Levy just trying to interview Stipe Miocic, and he's literally giving her nothing. Like, I, all I could think of is, like, if I'm Joseph Benavidez, he's sitting at home, Megan's wife comes home. Does he just, like, start saying, hey, tough night in the office after the fights are over? Yeah. Yeah, Stipe was uh... – even outside of that, like he just looked like he was just chilling whenever Jones called him out. I I don't know what to think of his body language of his interview. Uh, I, I certainly felt bad for Megan, but yeah, I don't necessarily know if the pre-fight hype for this one is going to be super awesome. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Stipe obviously has a lot more tools than Surreal. When you look at the top of the heavyweight division, honestly. Stipe probably presents the most problems for Jones other than Curtis Blades. I think Curtis Blades actually presents the most problems for John Jones. And it's the the wrestling element is, is, the, is the point I'm looking at in terms of how does John Jones do against a heavyweight wrestler. And other than that, uh, there there's not much in that top 10 that worries. Ooh, the, the one guy that I think could dethrone John Jones – and it's a guy that was mentioned when it comes to what his camp. I don't know if it was – I think it was Greg Jackson who talked about this. I think it was in the article about how during the preparation over the past two years, they studied all these great heavyweights that John could fight when he comes back. And one name that they studied who obviously needs to return to health but I think could be the guy to dethrone Jones down the line is Tom Aspinall. I, I think down the line that could be the guy who takes the title from Jones or Jones could just vacate it. But Jason, overall, I got to tell you, uh, UFC 285 was one of those things that reminds me why I love mixed martial arts. Like that was just a bad ass fight card, dude. Top to bottom. So many different stories. Freaking second best female fighter of all time loses. So many great fights, so many great moments, stars on the rise. This is one of those cards that makes you real grateful to be a fight fan. Yeah, it was one of those things Saturday night as I was watching the fights. You, you felt like you were you you knew you were watching a premium UFC event. You you felt like you were watching something special, and I enjoyed it. You know, sitting there and you know forking over the eighty plus dollars, whatever it is after taxes, you know, Apple pay when you do it on Apple pay, it comes in at 79.99, but usually there's probably gonna be taxes later on at some point there. But yeah, no, man, I, I enjoyed the fight car. I think it was really good. Of course. So uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for the podcast. Of course, a uh, great way to show your support for the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you can hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends, leave a comment section. Uh, one of the comments that came in last week uh, is something I tried to do. I just, 
I got kind of crazy busy last week and uh, I, I will put in the time marks on the YouTube video. So if you're looking for a particular part of the show, you'll know exactly where to go to. But uh, of course, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that. We appreciate everyone that tunes into the podcast each and every week. But, uh, you know, you, you talk about, you know, obviously the opening of the pay-per-view with Bo Nickel was a huge thing, you know, and obviously there was so much talk about it. And, you know, and let me say this after what has kind of happened, transpired since the fight is over, of course, I think everyone knows Jamie Pickett's management is going to file an appeal with the, the commission talking about a low blow that ultimately kind of led to the takedown, whatnot. And, you know, I was watching this interview. I watched this clip of Jamie Pickett. Uh, he's talking to James Lynch. And I'll say this. Jamie Pickett has handled this like a true class. I ain't say nothing bad about the kid. <laughs> I think he did his job. He, he did exactly what I would do. I can tell he didn't notice it. He hasn't been fighting long enough. After the fight, I said, hey, man, good job, good fight. I hope you get, hope you come to champion because I'm a good sportsman. Because, like I said, it's not Bo Nichols' damn job to protect me. His job is to harm me, not protect me. It's the referee's job to protect me. Yeah. The referee didn't protect me. Mm. No one even looked at it. And nobody really responded. He said he would. And then he, like, walked off. And I said, he's like, we, we are where we are. We are. And then I never said I don't talk to anybody. Just kind of felt like no one gave a damn about me or what I was doing. They just wanted him to look good. And, you know, he's bringing the money. And, I mean... I ain't hating on nobody. I get it. Look, I've never talked to Jamie Pickett, but when I saw that clip on Twitter, my first thought is like, man, this guy is a true sportsman. And I, I think a lot of guys may not be handling it the way that Jamie Pickett is handling it. And, and look, you hear he, in that clip, he's talking about the fact of having a, a brief interaction with the commission. He, look, he Jamie Pickett has been around the sport a long time. He knows the reality is the likelihood of getting this thing overturned is a, a very small chance. I highly doubt it's going to happen here. But, you know, the one thing is, and, and I saw some people kind of talk about the Bo Nickel aspect is, you know, the thing is, Bo technically didn't have the choke in right. And if Jamie Pickett would have been able to survive that choke, Bo Nickel's arms may have been so out of it that Jamie Pickett would, might have pulled off the upset. Yeah, that would have uh, that would have been freaking crazy. I uh, I didn't pick up on that fact, but that is the thing about Bo is he still is raw. Uh, that really sucks for Jamie. I mean, it's hard enough to defend a takedown from Bo Nickel, but when you got hit in the balls, yeah, good luck. I mean, no one's defending that takedown, and and that was uh, that was also something I didn't notice as the fight was happening. I didn't notice the knee strike into the takedown, honestly, because it happened so fast. But you watch the replay, and it's clear. It completely takes Jamie out of it mentally. I mean, he's just reacting to that. It, it's something where Bo's going to take down Jamie Pickett, I think, regardless of what happens. But it's still really unfortunate it wasn't caught as it was happening. And I do hope the fight is not overturned. I hope the result stays the same. Um, but I just feel bad for Jamie that that wasn't called, you know, there's, there's no bones about it. That was flush on the groin and it immediately led to the takedown. Uh, yeah, the, the, the choke from no nickel wasn't out of jujitsu one one out of Gordon Ryan. And, you know, we saw some interesting chokes throughout, right? We had in the bow fight, you know, uh, Jones and gone. I mean, people didn't even know what happened when he tapped. Uh, Shavkat's choke was almost like a bulldog standing choke. Uh, did, did you see the Instagram post that called that the bouncer choke? 
Oh, yeah, I didn't, but that's what it looked like. It was very, uh, it, it wasn't again out of ADCC. It was like, it, it's really cool that that dude has finished every single one of his fights and he has that desire to do so. And he, the commentators did a great job, but I don't know who made the point of like, this guy's just going to find a way to finish. And, and that's what he did. And it was a hundred percent a bouncer choke. There was nothing pretty about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, dude, it's, um, God dang. I, I love that car, man. I love that car. We had so many finishes, so many late round finishes too. Woo, I loved it. I, I know you mentioned to me, you watched this car after the fact that you said it was kind of amazing that you didn't get any spoiler. So you, you got to, you didn't know what happened until you started watching the fight car. But, um, you know, especially on these pay-per-views, I do find myself kind of sticking around that pay-per-view after the main car is over. Cause I do like to, to watch the, the, the chat that the three announcers had in this case, it was Anna Cormier and Rogan and Rogan pointing out the choke by Alexa Grosso, where you see when Grosso lets go of the choke, you can literally see the white pale mark on, uh, on Valentina's chin. And yeah, the other thing, and I tweeted about this after the fights are over or particularly after the co-main event was over, like it would be promotional malpractice if the UFC does not go to Mexico City right now with Bram Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, and Alexa Grosso. Like the time is now for the UFC to go back to Mexico City. That is, uh, you are right. You are right. It would be interesting to have three championship fights on a fight card. It's been a very long time since that's happened. Um I don't know when that when I know for sure I'm pretty sure that happened at uh that did not happen at UFC 100. I know there was for sure one fight card that happened, but yeah, that uh that three championship fight with the three Mexican champions, obviously Yair interim champion. I think you could get away with just doing Moreno Grasso and then doing Vulcan Yair somewhere else. But honestly, and, and the reason why I say that is because I feel like they love doing two championship fights per pay-per-view and they love spreading it. And realistically, Vulcan Rodriguez could headline. Well, oh yeah, I tell you what, maybe that is what you got to do because I don't know if a Moreno flyweight championship fight can main event a pay-per-view. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. hundred uh, percent. You're right. That would just be amazing. Uh, I, I'm all in. I mean, Obviously, Grasso Shevchenko is the way to go. I mean, if the PFL was booking it, they wouldn't do the rematch. They would put Grasso against somebody else and, uh, you know, Shevchenko and, and somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, you got to do the rematch. Shevchenko was winning that fight. Grasso has some great moments, and she had the greatest moment when she uh, jumped on her back and locked on that rear naked choke. It, it's a moment that will literally go down in mixed martial arts history. It was a phenomenal upset. A great underdog story. It's not something I saw coming at all, Jason. And yeah, I mean, shout out to Alexa Grasso. What a, she's going to, I mean, she is now a UFC Hall of Famer. I mean, in one night, she became a Hall of Famer. It's so this is how I took in UFC 285. So I had my nieces and nephew over for, for a uh, sleepover because uh, it was my brother-in-law's birthday and they wanted to go out. So he's like, yeah, you know, kids can stay over. So I'm watching the fights on my iPad in my phone, uh, in my bedroom as my wife is sleeping, I've got headphones in. And when that happens, like uh, more times than not, I probably would be like on the couch going, holy effing, you know what? 
And, but I kind of had to keep it in. And it just, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. And, and I think it's why you, we just love live sports is it's that holy crap moment. And, you know, Dana White's always talked about this, you know, throughout the years. He said, he goes, you know, hey, there's always these holy S moments that we have. And that was one of those moments. It's like, Dan did not see that one coming together. And of course, Aaron Blanchfield, probably the biggest loser. Dana White, I forget whether, if it was earlier in the week or in the post-fight press conference, he was asked about Thalia Santos. And he mentioned that Thalia Santos is not really interested in coming to the United States right now. So I don't know exactly what that if what that's about. That obviously kind of plays into the title picture there. Of course, Mino Fiorot is right there. So maybe maybe Fiorot and Blanchfield is a fight to make while you do because you have to do the immediate rematch. I mean, when you have a long-standing champion like Shevchenko, she's got to get the, the rematch there. And um, you know, look, she handled it with class. I mean, look, she got caught. I mean, at the end of the day, she got caught. It was. I thought it was surprising in the first round of that fight of how much she stood with Alexa Grasso because we all knew that she had the big advantage on the feed and in our in our the score channel over fight HQ after the first round was over. I'm like, all right, here comes uh grappler mo for Shevchenko in the second round. That's like uh you know exactly what she went out there and did there. Um, you know, one thing I do want to admit, by the way, not exactly a great night for the commission over here. First off, we have John Jones where they're having a question mark about the tape on his toes, which I'm like, how, how is this not handled in the back? Then, pre, you know, two fights before that, we have Herb Dean who goes two minutes without realizing that Shavkat Rachmanov is mouthpiece is just laying on the mat. Never a good, never a good look when the broadcaster has to take his headset off and go, hey, Herb, Herb, the mouthpiece, it's right there. <laughs> Like, Dude, that. <laughs> like, is no one from the commission paying attention? Like, how is there not like someone from the commission running around the cage going, hey, Herb, man, Herb, Herb, there's a mouthpiece on the ground. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of those things that makes you love Joe Rogan, right? Obviously, Joe Rogan, he can't be polarizing uh, because of his podcast content at times. But God, he is Joe Rogan. He's our guy. We grew up with him in mixed martial arts. And in what other sport is the broadcaster talking to the referee? You know, it's an MMA, right? Whether it be Dan Hardy um, getting into an altercation or Joe Rogan providing helpful advice to her. But uh, hopefully, I wish Joe would have uh, talked to her. But, oh, no, it was – it was uh, who was the referee in the Brunson fight? Uh, was, that, uh, was that Mark oh, Smith? It was Herb. Or, or I, I guess it was Herb. Because he, that was the mouthpiece. Uh, that was. I mean, I'm sorry, I got that completely screwed up. Yeah, Mark Smith. Mark Smith. Two fights. If he refereed the Shavkat fight, man, that one. And then the um, was it? Uh, was it Marquez and and? Um, yeah, he he uh, was he was the referee because I, I I went back. Uh, Herb Dean was the referee for Duplessis and. And Derek Brunson, but no, because I, I went back because I wanted to pull a piece of audio uh, from that fight that I'm going <laughs> to let you hear in a second here. Uh, but I thought that fight went on way too long. Like, I mean, Marquez is just turtled up, and Mark Andre Barriot is just raining down punches in my. And I'm sitting there watching this fight, going, "Dude, what is it going to take for you to stop this fight? Does he like? Do you have like the over two and a half round prop bet going on?" I know, dude. I know. Maybe he talked to James Krause about it. Um, it was it was crazy, and you know, I know you you you. Uh, we talked about how uh, they just talked about how glory closed right, okay. down. All right, all right. I I pulled that comment. I, look, <laughs> oh. I think John Anik oh. is a tremendous broadcaster, an absolute tremendous broadcaster. 
But um, so I guess this is the narrative the UFC wants to go with now. Marquez, one of several fighters who was forced to find a new gym due to the closing of Glory MMA and Fitness, landed at Factory X in Colorado. The closing of Glory MMA? That, that's the narrative we're going with? Look, love John Anik. And I'm sure that that's probably the way that the UFC has told him to describe this situation. But it's like for myself, you, and everyone who's taking this podcast, we all know why Julian Marquez had to leave Glory MMA Fitness. Glory MMA Fitness, my, my understanding, is still open. It's just under new ownership. I, I, I know they have to leave their Instagram account. Uh, but if you kind of, you know, you you do a, a search on Instagram, clearly people are still training there. Joe Wooster now is, is the owner of the gym. So I, I would imagine they probably changed the name, but it's like, come on. The reason Julian Marquez had to leave Glory is because the UFC sent this memo out that says, if you still train at Glory, you're no longer allowed to fight in the UFC. Yeah, yeah, so it's a little inaccurate. He did mention James by name in the following round, but I, I see the UFC's point of view, why they wouldn't want their broadcaster to mention the gambling scandal in the middle of a fight. It, it's a story that... Obviously, me and you know very well. Hardcore mixed martial arts fans know very well. The casual fan flipping on probably doesn't recall, probably doesn't know Julian was at that gym, doesn't know Glory was James's gym. Um, so they probably don't want to distract the viewer by bringing up a story that makes their company look bad. And and John's an employee of the UFC, right? Um, so I, I get it, but it is funny to look back on. It is funny to look back on. I mean, you know, John, DC, Joe, they're great. They're awesome. But, you know, that's what we do. We, 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 uh, we're, this is a podcast for a hardcore mixed martial arts fan. And that's the lens through which we watch it. And so we pick up on those things. And uh, that, was, that was a funny one. And I noticed it uh, just as well. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things. That, and I found myself... You know, there was definitely a time where I probably viewed mixed martial arts more from a like a, a beat reporter type aspect. But for the most part now, I just look as as being a combat sports fan of what I want to be able to watch and, and look. And, and I think John's probably also in a little bit of a tough scenario for him because James Krause was featured on his podcast for a long time talking about betting. And like you mentioned this to me in a text, like, man, it's been kind of quiet on that realm. And it makes you, it, it also makes me wonder, like, Man, maybe this UFC know a shoe's about to drop on this story, and they're trying to do what they can to create a narrative to separate themselves from it. Well, I'm sure that's the idea is to separate themselves from this story as much as they can. And you never know when the shoe's going to drop. You know, I'm sure whenever there's uh, some new controversy in the UFC, we'll have some more news on the James Crowd situation to distract us. But for the time being, I, I think. Um, I, you know, I think it's all quiet, but at some point something's going to come out, I believe. But, you know, bureaucracy in the government, eh, it moves pretty slow, Jason. Yeah, it, it's it, I mean, look, you mentioned a point, man. It, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, I, I know the guys over ESPN have done a really great job of talking about this story. Um, you know, also some other notes I had from it. Uh, Cody Garbrandt and his matchup against Trevin Jones and. Uh, you know, for the first two rounds, Trevin Jones does nothing. Third round, Cody Garbrandt does absolutely nothing. I'm watching this fight. I'm, you know, I've got tweet deck open and I'm seeing what people are tweeting about. And I'm like, so is no one just going to acknowledge that uh, Garbrandt is literally coasting the third round? He's doing absolutely nothing. Like he's running for five minutes. And, and look, I get why he fought safe. It was, it was a smart game plan by, uh, you know, his new training team. Very smart game plan. And he talked about the injury that he suffered leading into this and then, you know, suffering injury 
you know, the morning of the fight as well. But like, even, you know, watching the first two rounds and like, I don't know if I would pick Cody to beat a top 10 band away at this point. Yeah, he looked good in those first two rounds, but certainly that third round leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, he got hit with some pretty good shots in round three, and it was it, it, it's a bad way to end that frame. Straight up, I don't think he beats a top 10 Bantamweight, just because that's a really good division. Yeah, that round three looked like he was watching some William Knight tape, and he's like, that's a good strategy. And when you... Put your foot off the pedal. It opens the room to to, to drop a fight. And I think for Cody, I would imagine he had so much mental obstacles heading into this fight. I mean, to be a part of the top of this weight class and to fall down so dramatically and and to know your back is against the wall, right? A, A loss here probably means the end of your UFC career for the time being. So he must have just really... I would assume played it cautious because he felt like he had two rounds in the, in the bag and he just wanted to make it to the finish line is what I would assume was going through his head. But it was an opportunity for him to perform well. He got an easy opponent and he obviously showed that he has improved himself from his more recent performances. He fights a much more cautious approach. I think if he learns the lesson from round three, he could have some success but clearly Dewey Cooper has done some good work with Cody Garbrandt. It wasn't a fight that makes me think this is a world beater, uh, but it was a, a, a nice note for Cody to, to get that W. And, you know, there were some performances like that across the card. There were some performances where you look at a fighter and you think this is a future world champion. And there were other ones where the fighter won, but you kind of clearly see that maybe the ceiling is a little lower than you had originally envisioned. Ian Gary <laughs> and Drakus, both of them. Both yeah, Drake, of, both yeah, of Drake them is, are good. Yeah, Duplass C's. I mean, you just like you look at him, and to me, like if he's going to beat the upper echelon at 185 pounds, it's a five minute gas tank because you you just see how much it, it winds down there. Like you know, Ian Gary, and I, I mentioned this on the shows on Fight HQ last week. Like I said, there's going to come a point that you got to fade him. When you're talking about the betting side of the sport and, you know, and Song Kunong lit him up and, you know, Ian Gary does go out and get the victory. Um, you know, Tabitha Ricci, I think, is one of those fighters potentially look at as, you know, being a contender um, as she goes forward. Um, you know, and also the other thing I'll mention about Cody Garbrandt is it doesn't happen a lot in this sport where a fighter really opens up about what's going on in their life. And he opened up last week where he said, my life was in shambles going through a divorce, going through, you know, a a divorce where you have a child together, you know, having to sell his house all while he's training for a fight, you know, going up to that that Kai Car France fight. So I'll give Cody a lot of, a lot of props for being that open and honest with the media, which is something we just don't, we we typically don't see, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, personal issues and, you know, and, and it made me think of a conversation that, um, we started this new show, a mental health show here at radio influence. And, you know, there, there was this talk about how we are now in a time where professional athletes will talk about the mental health, where it wasn't that to me that long ago, you know, where really we didn't hear. I, I mean, I want to say it just in, in terms of a, a sports generation, I feel like Kevin Love 
is the athlete that kind of opened this door where, you know, once Kevin Love kind of talked about, you know, the things that he went through, I feel like whether we're talking about the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, MMA, that more athletes are more open to discussing, hey, you know what, I do struggle with the mental side of this game. Yeah. I mean, think about what it must have been like mentally for someone like Chris Webber after he called the timeout in the Michigan college basketball uh I don't know if it was the semis or the finals, but he called the timeout. They didn't have it. That, and he that basically was, cost I'm, them. I'm pretty sure it was the finals. Yeah, I bet that dude was depressed, and I bet that dude felt awful. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, because the media, the fans, probably his own teammates at that time hated him and villainized him. And I think the mental battle has always been there for athletes. I just think because of the advent of social media – we are communicating with each other so much more than we did before. So we are starting to realize the battles that we may have mentally. Everyone has them. Everyone has them. It's interesting you bring that up. It makes me think about, uh, once it was earlier last week, I saw Charles Johnson because um, I'm, I'm friends with him on, on his personal Facebook. And uh, cause I, I interviewed him when, when he was you know coming up in the sport and he shared a screenshot, a screenshot. And I want to say it was an Instagram DM and basically it was someone, you know, calling him every name in the book and all because they lost money on him. And I can only imagine what it is like for a fighter any day of the week. The fact that anyone can just DM you on Instagram and they can say, and, and it makes me think of the conversation I had with Bobby Lashley years ago when he was in Bellator. And he said, he goes, he goes, the biggest problem I have, he goes, I don't call them keyboard warriors. I call them couch warriors because they're just sitting on their couch. And he goes, and he goes, I can't tell you how many times someone will say something about me. He goes, whether it's about my MMA career or my, or my professional wrestling career, he goes, but then that same person comes up to me in the airport and wants a picture. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, there was a great story, not a great story, but Johnny Gargano is a professional wrestler and somebody tweeted something really mean to him. And he had a screenshot from 10 plus years ago where this same person asked him for advice about wrestling and he gave him a long detailed response. So he had this screenshot, the same guy talking trash about him, you know, and, and that's kind of the downside of social media is it takes away the human uh, communication that face-to-face you may have with someone. Uh, And it not only affects celebrities and athletes, but if you look at your own personal Facebook, it also affects that, right? Like Joe from high school could put a Facebook status and I could comment something really mean because I think what he said is stupid. And you see that all the time in personal communication, but it's a conversation that would never have happened in real life. You would have just thought it to yourself or talked about him to your friends, which is where, you know, that's where trash talk should be. It should be among your close group of friends where you can talk crap about everyone because that's what friends are for, but not, not social media, not sharing it with other and impacting others. The thing I, I use social media for the most, and this is more of the, the Instagram side of it. Instagram to me is the best way to prepare for a fighter interview because I can, because I have a thought process of I'm trying to do a different type of interview. 
And sometimes you can just go on there and you find something out about that person's life. And I'm like, Hey man, we, we can have a conversation, you know, a dope conversation about that. But I mean, like Instagram to me is like, it's a place where we put the best version of ourselves. We don't all, we don't always necessarily put that real version of ourselves out there. Like I, yeah. for the most part, you will rarely, rarely ever see me post a picture of me out drinking. Yeah. Now yeah, I, so now I did, true. I did last Friday. I put something in my story. And it basically describes what a Friday night, nine out of 10 Friday nights looks like for me. It's me having, having, you know, a couple of Stella's and throwing some darts. I mean, that, that's pretty much a Friday night for me. I mean, that, that's just, you know, that, that's, it's, it's my way of just, you know, we all have that thing that we just do just to decompress. And that's what that is for me. It's just me and my buddy, Chris going out, having some beers and throwing darts. Exactly. Exactly. And that's human life, but it's not how you want to present yourself to people all the time, right? You don't want to, you don't want your Instagram feed to be just you drinking all the time because then people are going to be like, well, he's got a problem. <laughs> or, but- <laughs> or if you ever, I'll never forget when I, when I, when I worked in Threshold radio and we'd have people apply for jobs. So this is, this is like back in the early days of Facebook, MySpace was a thing. When we would get the application, that's the first thing we went to. And our first thought was, do they have a, do they tend to post more drinking photos than anything else? And if they do, we're kind of like, uh, I don't know if we want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. But realistically, that person who, even, even though, even though, just as much, even though our job was to promote a party. <laughs> yeah. But you're not supposed to partake in the party. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's funny. But, Can I uh, confirm yeah. or deny whether it happened or not? Yeah. Yeah. You know. We keep it clean, you know, with our, with our public image. But, you know, that's the most important thing to remember is that everything on the Internet is forever. Everything you post is there. Uh, so, yeah, keep that in mind, you know. Uh, you know where I thought the uh, one of the fights the commentators did a really good job on was the Amanda Hebos matchup? In the first round, her eyes, I mean, were just gigantic. And then all of a sudden, after she got that takedown in the first round, she just seemed to calm down. And, you know, I, and man, he boss is someone that I, I don't see as a title contender. I think she's going to be kind of in that five to 10 range. I think probably five is probably where she, you know, unless obviously some growth there, but um, I, you know, I thought she, she looked very good uh, in terms of that one. I mean, I think we pretty much hit on everything. Yeah. I would just say um, just to circle back. Yes. She looked good. Ian Gary obviously has more work to do, but his standup is promising in terms of the technique. But my biggest takeaway among the non-championship fights as we wrap this part. Oh, we didn't mention Gamrot Turner, which is a good little fight. Uh, good little contest, and, and Gamrot won that one. But as I was going to say, the one fighter I came away thinking, geez, this guy's going to be a champion in Shafkat. I just got to say it. That guy... That guy must have won a lot of people over who may have been seeing him fight for the first time. He is just unbelievably entertaining to watch fight. And uh, he, he uh, yeah, he, he, to me, out of anyone, looks like the next uh, next guy who could be a champion on this on his prelims. Or not the prelims, but the non-championship fights. Yeah, I mean, kudos for Gamrot taking that fight on 10 days' nose. Stylistically, probably one of the um, 
bad matchups for him at 155 pounds just because of the length that Jalen Turner has. And uh, the scorecards that one I thought was interesting, especially the one scorecard that gave the third round Jalen Turner. Um, I, I had it two one for Gamron with him winning the second and third round. I didn't I didn't see the third round there uh, for for Jalen Turner. But uh, you know Jalen Turner is a guy that I think he he creates a lot of problems in that 155 pound division. I mean yeah, he's one of those guys that I know people look at. And I've I've had this conversation with Jalen, and he says you know people think I'm this monster. He's like I only walk around like 170 pounds. He's like I'm not that. He goes he goes I'm just tall and lanky. He goes people like act like I'm walking around like 200 pounds. I'm cutting down to 155. Yeah, yeah, he is very, very lanky. And he, the tarantula nickname is so fitting. It really is. I mean, he looks like a real life tarantula. Dude. Even though. <laughs> the last, last time we fought in Vegas, there was a reptile convention going on in Vegas that weekend. So he spent his Sunday at the reptile convention. That is awesome. That is awesome. He just seems like a great guy. And even though he got the loss, you know, he's going to have plenty of success. That was just a high level. MMA fight. Those, that lightweight division, man, that lightweight division has always been stacked in this sport. Always been stacked. I mean, that's why we got an awesome Bellator tournament coming up. But it's similar to the Saruki and Gamrot fight where it's like, uh, even though one guy's going to lose his fight, you know the loser's still going to be a part of the top 15 picture. And that's exactly what I thought out of, out of that one. Like, I just think, like, if I'm the UFC matchmakers and, I, and I'm looking at what to do next with Jalen Turner, like, I, I really don't want to try to book him in a fight against someone who you know is just going to want to grapple F him to death. Like, to me, like, if you're talking about putting together a fun fight for Jalen Turner, find somebody that you just know, like, okay, they can have wrestling abilities, but they're actually going to sit there and want to have a, a striking matchup. I, like, look, I think the Dan Hooker matchup's a nice matchup. Like, if I'm Jalen Turner's camp, that's a fight I would want to go in. We're going to talk a little bit Dan Hooker when we get into the news and notes sections over there. But uh, Jalen Turner's a guy that I just, stylistically, just a fun guy to watch. And, like, you know, it's like to kind of circle back on that Garbrandt and Trevin Jones fight. And, like, mention this, I'm watching it as, as a combat sports fan. That third round just was not entertaining. Yeah, no, it was a bad round. It was a bad round. And the good thing is that fight was sandwiched with a bunch of bunch of great fights, but uh, yeah, round three sucked. Yeah, um, I mean that, that's the thing is I, I get why Cody fought safe. I totally understand that. I'm just I just look at it more as as from a, a martial arts fan. But uh, you know, let's let's move ahead to this weekend on Friday. We got Bellator 292 on Saturday. We got UFC Vegas there from the uh, Virgin Hotel. So uh, in front of fans, of course, that card is going to be headlined by Marab and Jan, and then, of course the Bellator card going to be headlined by the kickoff of the lightweight Grand Prix. Of course, going to be Benson Henderson challenging Usman Nurmagomedov made off in the main event of that fight car also you got musayev and shalby uh in the other lightweight tournament that's going to be a part of this fight card and then also you got uh i would basically say i know bellator is doing a media day today i was going to hop on that media day after we get done with this show is uh you got modofsky and vassell that's your co-main event you have to imagine that's a number one contenders matchup in the heavyweight division. Also, maybe we have a, a, a welterweight number one contender matchup between Michael Page and Gochi Yamauchi. Michael Page this week, I know he's done some interviews where he thinks he's going to, that this is a number one contender matchup for him. So the Bellator main card on Friday, I think, is a great main card. You look at the UFC main card, uh, I do like the top three matchups. So you've got, uh, along with Jan and Marab, you got Volkov and Romanov, and then also you got Krylov and Span. Of course, that fight was supposed to take place two weeks ago did see uh the other day that john morgan reported that ufc uh confirmed with him that that matchup 
will be at a catch weight of 215 pounds. Of course, that fight was initially uh, scheduled at 205 pounds, but Krylov has a, a food, uh, I think, I want to say it was food poisoning type issue on fight day. So they, they get that one rebooked there. Um, you know, so like I, you know, there's some other fights on the UFC card we'll, we'll look at, but let's start off with the Bellator card. Obviously the, you know, I was looking at best fight odds. I don't know if you happen to see this or not. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up to see if maybe if any of the odds have changed. But when I looked uh, yesterday, Usman Nurmaga Madoff was a two, a 20 to one betting favorite. So I just pulled up best fight odds. So he ranges anywhere. The lowest number I'm seeing on him, according to best fight odds, is at BetMGM as a 16 to one favorite. And the highest number out there is Bet Rivers at minus 2,500. And someone in the, the Fight HQ Discord channel said, has Benson Henderson fallen off this much that he's a 20 to one betting underdog? And I'm like, nah, this is about Usman Nurmagomedov with his Benson Henderson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no one else in this way. Well, maybe if he fought AJ McKee, the odds might be kind of similar. But other than that, the odds wouldn't be this wide for Benson. Obviously, Benson has fallen off since he's been UFC lightweight champion. But this is all about Usman. I mean, if Benson pulls off the upset, it would be the upset of the year. In a year in which we saw Alexa Grasso become flyweight champion. But this one would be more shocking to me just because... I really feel like Usman has a massive advantage in every aspect of the game, skill-wise, physically, athletically, youth. Everything's Usman's in his favor, and it's the least interesting fight on this fight card, uh, on the on this main card in terms of uh, competitiveness. It's my pick, and I will tell you when I look at this Bellator card, Jason. It is the only favorite on this main card that I like. I like all the other underdogs on this main card. So you like Gochi Yamuchi? I do like Gochi Yamuchi, yes. I like the fact that he has the grappling. And clearly, if he decides to stand in charade with Michael, things will not end well. He will get knocked out. But because he has that aspect of his game that is significantly better than Michael's, I like Yamauchi to pull off the upset. I'm not in big disagreement with you there. I, I just, you know, my, my thing is, is him getting that matchup to the ground. And I know Paige has been working on his grappling a lot because, you know, there was, they were trying to put together a Neiman Gracie fight, at, you know, probably about a year ago. And just ultimately that never happened there. But yeah, when I started looking at these betting odds and looking at these underdogs, the Vassell, a, you know, a two and a half to one betting underdog really stuck out to me. To me, he's a guy that, you know, and, and I related John Jones to him last week where, you know, he he talked about when he made that move up to heavyweight, he said, he goes, I had to kind of figure out where I needed to be in terms of a, a weight aspect. And he's got that, that in check there. Um, you know, and I will say this, I'm kind of surprised to see Musayev as a betting underdog against Shelby. Yeah. That one was the most shocking one to me. I mean, the Moldovsky one was also pretty surprising. Obviously the difference between these two fighters is Linton's on the upswing in his most recent fights. And, 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 and Moldovsky is coming off a no contest and the clear loss to Bader, but he has the win over Vassell, you know, three years ago. And he, you know, he's a really freaking good heavyweight. Musayev and Shabli, that is, that is surprising to me. 
I, I'm really in love with Messiah's game ever since he had the fight with Patricky. And obviously, Shabley's really, really good. But I, I think to me, it's the stand-up of Tufik that gets me excited. And I think he has the ability to, to maintain the fight there. Tafik Usman is a fight that intrigues me, just a, a potential matchup, just as much as Usman McKee intrigues me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I see Tufik the same way you do. He is someone who has a lot of upside in terms of we don't know what he can accomplish, but so far it's been really, really fun to watch. And he has a stout challenge in Shabli, and, and, and it is to me – the equivalent of a four or five matchup you'll see in an NBA playoffs, right? The equivalent of two really good teams going head to head in just the first round, right? Like if the Suns take on the Warriors in round one of the NBA playoffs, that's kind of what we got here in the Bellator tournament between Shopley and Tufik. It's just two fighters that maybe don't have name value yet, but are really good. And again, hats off to Bellator in California. Great main card. I am, I am excited for, for this week of MMA. I mean, I don't know. Um, is there anything I should be excited about on the prelims, Jason? What should I what should I keep an eye out for? The one name that I was intrigued on the prelims, but uh, unfortunately the fight's not going to happen anymore, is Bobby Serrano the third, uh, 3-0 prospect out of California. His fight was pulled from the fight card. But, you know, looking kind of at the you know prelims, I do want to talk a little bit about, more about the main card. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I look at Enrique Barzola, Eric Perez, Cass Bell, Josh Hill. Those are two matchups at, at 135 pounds. That would stick out to me. Uh, Angelikius, and I'm not going to try to butcher his opponent's last name. Um which uh on Yaksher Muradov. Sure. If yeah, you say so. It. He's in my top <laughs> ten, but he's not he's not for some reason he's not ranking the Bellator or Bellator light heavyweight rankings, but I am in my top ten. Um so but really the Barzola, Perez, Bell, Hill fight would be the ones that, that would stick out to me the most. But like like you know, it's funny when you mentioned about the NBA kind of comparison and, and as you were saying right before you said it, I was like, Oh yeah, the NBA Western Conference playoffs. <laughs> like that's, that's basically about the best way to put it based on, on how those matchups uh potentially play out here. But you know, like when I look at kind of the paths to victory in terms of this Bellator car, like if if Benson Henderson to me pulls this off, to me it's about him making this a fight up against the fence, making a grappling matchup. If you tell me this fight's at range, I think Usman just picks him apart. I, I just th- that's the only path I see is Benson just keeping this thing up against the fence and, and just winning a, a very not exciting decision. But I think this is you know Usman should advance on. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. That's the way to win. I can't see that happening um, at all. At all. I mean, I just cannot see anyone in the Bellator roster bullying Nemaga made up against the cage for 25 minutes. But that is the way to win if you're Benson, is to make this fight boring as hell. Uh, what would shock you more? I feel like these two, this is identical. Benson beating Usman. Or in the NBA Western Conference playoffs after getting in the play-in, the Los Angeles Lakers being the Nuggets. Well, what what, I feel like these this is the uh, the equivalent matchup, right? Both of them are former champions, maybe a little past their prime, going up against the uh, the rising superstar. Who who? What would be more shocking? Lakers beating Nugs in seven, or Benson? Uh, I guess becoming the new Bellator lightweight champion. Benson. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in the day, Lakers, Lakers still have one of the greatest players that ever, that ever play, play the sport. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, look, I, you know, like, I'm tired of seeing Lakers in national tailwatch games. Please, I, I've seen enough of them. Um, you will never not see that happen, Jason. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like it's like hearing about what's in the movies on the UFC broadcast. It's just always going to be there. Fortunately, I'm a big fan of movies. But uh, have we seen Cocaine Bear yet? I did see Cocaine Bear. It was my, my wife, my wife, my wife wants to see it. Yeah, I think it was, so. Yeah, her spring break is next week, uh, so um, she wants to go see it next week. You need to watch it. It's fun to watch. Just complete random side note. I just saw Creed three yesterday. It was a very good movie. Now this is a minor spoiler because I mean, I just want to say minor spoiler for Creed three. So fast forward thirty seconds if you haven't seen it. It's minor. But how crazy is it that in the movie Creed 3, Adonis Creed, the main character, retired for three years and then he fought. And it came out around the same time that John Jones fought. That's part of the storyline is he was gone for three years. And I was just like, that is so weird. We are in such a, like, such a simulation that there's literally a movie about a boxer who was gone for three years. And it came out around the same time Jones came back after three years. I just... I just randomly thought that I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But yeah, that, that's just a completely random side note. I believe I saw like on Instagram. I guess he got KO'd in one of the uh, the fight scenes in the movie. Like legitimately, they yeah. Like I guess like I don't know if it was like a, a practice of the scene, but like oh. apparently uh, he got KO'd like bad. <laughs> Holy crap! I gotta look that up. That is, yeah. I, I, I want to say I saw it on Instagram. I wonder how that all works because like in a movie like that. It's crazy. The fight scenes look awesome. The I like. I wonder the how the makeup works because it looks so realistic with the cuts and everything. But man, all I gotta say after watching that is like, man, these dudes are jacked. You know, I had to cover my girlfriend's eyes during some of these scenes because both Michael B. Jordan and his adversary Jonathan Majors, they look like a million bucks. Holy crap! Rocky didn't look like that. Rocky didn't look like that, man. These dudes look like freaking Avengers, which I guess uh, Jonathan Majors is fighting the Avengers in the Marvel Universe. But uh, yeah, that was a cool. And, you know, Tony Weeks was in the movie. He was a referee. So it's nice to see him and Stitch Duran and, and people you know on the peripheral of mixed martial arts are involved. Yeah, if you didn't see, they were actually uh, filming some of the fight scenes for Roadhouse um, in between yeah. the fights on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, um, Jay Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dana had a great comment. They um, they asked Dana about Jake Gyllenhaal. He goes, "Yeah, he's clearly not getting tested by USADA." <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, is oh, I, <laughs> I was I was going to transition to something, but oh, that's fine. We'll get that to that later. But uh, I how how long? If you know how much time they spent filming that, like that, it was really in between fights. Yeah, it was in, it was it was a uh, a scene that in between fights. Uh, if you didn't notice, like. like they did a scene where um, on Friday where Jake weighs in and all that, but yeah, it's yeah. dude, you gotta really nail it. Like, like a movie set takes a long time to film a scene. Like they, it takes a while. Yeah, dude, that is so crazy. That is so crazy that they did that so quickly. I'm looking forward to seeing that scene uh, in, in Roadhouse. But yeah, it, uh, it's it's cool, man. That they that they did that. Um, I, I I can't imagine Jake Gyllenhaal as. Dalton, uh, God, I forgot his name. Uh, Dalton, whatever the hell, in Roadhouse. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. 
Now, getting back to this Bellator card, the Vassell Madovsky matchup, to me, if you're Vassell, you just, you, you kind of like, you know, what we talked about with Nurmagomedov Madoff and, and Benson. To me, if you're Vassell, you just can't keep your fight up, your, your back up against the cage. You got to keep this one in range. And, you know, when they, you, you talked about that first matchup, that was the time where, um, you know, Vassell had told me that he just felt like he weighed too much, that he put on too much weight and he just wasn't performing at his maximum. Um, yeah, if Vassell can keep this thing at range, I do like him. I think potentially him taking Modovsky down and using his jiu-jitsu I think could be a clear path. But, yeah, if you're looking to place a bet on that fight, I do like that limit cell plus uh, 230. I mean, I mean, Paige Yamauchi, I mean, it's clear the path to victory for both guys. I mean, there's not really much to break down in terms of that. It's striker versus grappler. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty clear. I think the concern is there's a chance Goichi might fall in love with his hands. Other than that, I think um, I think you're right. But yeah, I, I got let's see, I got Yamuchi, I got Moldovsky, I got Musayev, and I got Uzma. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I always enjoy when Bellator goes out to California, and, and again, we got two good outings. I mean, there are so many freaking cards this weekend. I mean, there's a damn PFL Challengers card with Impa Kasagne on there, uh, LFA. Every single week, if you're an MMA fan, man, there is so much. Obviously, Power Slap. It's got their big free show after uh, the UFC card. There's a lot of stuff going on. I will not be watching Power Slap. I, I will tell you that. You know, I uh, I subscribe to the. Uh, I'm scared if I log on to Rumble, the FBI will come to my door and ask me if I was at the Capitol on January 6th. But so I, I'm staying away from that. Yeah, I, I'm actually uh, I'm going out to uh, the afternoon. I'm spending at a spring training game, going with some of my boys from the Bucks, and uh, so I, I'll probably I'll probably make it for the main card of the UFC. But yeah, there is like a point zero zero one percent chance I turn on slap fighting. Like I I, 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 do you have to download the app for Rumble, or is there a web version? There's a web. I mean, there's a website. You you go to the website and watch it. Not that I like frequent Rumble, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Rumble type guy, but uh, you know, in terms of, of this UFC event, I will say that uh, you know, I mentioned about the top three fights to me are, are the fights that, that stick out to me the most about this fight card. You know, it's kind of interesting with the main event uh, of, of Dvorakvili and Jan is you've got Jan who's had these two matchups against Aljo taking on. Aljo's number one training partner. And it's clearly if Marab is going to win this fight, I mean, like when I think of Marab, I think of a just cardio machine. The guy just does not get tired, but I don't see how he wins this fight. If he can't get the fight to the ground. And we saw the, the issues that Aljamain Sterling had getting on to the ground. Like, I just feel like this is Jan's fight to lose. Yeah. I think it's clear. There's a gap there in the standup. I mean, Jan obviously had problems at times against Sean O'Malley. I mean, I had him winning that fight, but Sean still did some good things on the feet, but he's, he's a different striker than, than uh, Marab, both physically with his, with his frame and more importantly with his speed and technique. Marab is very good stand-up, but there's that clear gap. Still, there's something about Marab, you know, he, he, he's a special athlete, Amongst all the um, upcoming UFC fights, this main event is one of my most anticipated matchups. Talent-wise, this could absolutely be a Bantamweight championship fight. 
These are two Bantamweight Championship level fighters. I'm also picking Peter Yan, but there's something about the tenacity of Marab's approach that makes me think there's a real possibility he can bring this one down. But because of how unbelievable Yan's takedown defense is, it reminds me of Aldo's in his career. I do think this will be a fight for Yan to win via decision due to the stand-up. I just I was looking at some of the prop bets on this one. I think this kind of tells you where um, Vegas thinks this thing's going. Over four and a half rounds, minus two fifty. Yeah, these guys are tough. These guys are difficult to finish. Fight goes to decision, minus two hundred five. Yeah, yeah, and and that's probably it's probably the way it's going to play out. I mean, I just. My my whole thing is if Marab cannot get the takedowns and he cannot control Jan on the ground, I just don't know if there's a path to him winning this fight if it's a kickboxing matchup. If it's a kickboxing matchup, this should be Peter Jan's fight to lose. Yeah, the only thing is maybe Jan limits his kicking because of the fear for the takedown, and maybe that opens things up for Marab. But by and large, when you look at the resumes of both guys and what they've put on tape, you you you've nailed it when it comes to what to expect here. It, yeah. it is that yeah. I mean, there's there's no bones about it. But yeah, still, you know, Jan's my pick. But hey, man, guys out of Marab's gym have had success against Peter. And this is a huge matchup at 135 pounds. You know, we we know we're going to get Sterling and Cejudo. Allegedly, it's going to be May 6, UFC 288 in New York, New Jersey. The UFC did announce this fight card yesterday. However, they did not announce the main event of this fight card announcing tickets are going to go on sale here. But, uh, you know, Sterling and Cejudo, they were they were chirping backstage at, at UFC 285 this past weekend. But, I mean, you look at, you know, how this division is going to play out here over the next couple, couple of weeks. Vera and Sanhagen is coming up here, what's it, in two weeks' time. That's going to be the San Antonio card. So, you know, they're right now, if you look at the top of this division, I'm still kind of shocked Sean Mahalley's ranked as the number one contender in this well, division. Wait, like, I, think, I, think, I think they announced uh, O'Malley and Aljo. Really? Or am I, am I wrong here? Did MMA, MMA Mania get this wrong? I, I know there there was a story that um no maybe I got maybe MMA media got it completely wrong. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to figure out what Sean O'Malley had had up to and uh, O'Malley MMA had Mania. a O'Malley had a comment um he had a, he had a comment about Francis Ngannou. Um so I'm looking at this No, I'm super so, wrong. I don't know, yeah. So this is a it's a headline at MMA Mania where it says UFC 288 pay-per-view announced for May 6th in Newark. Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling agree to headline. Uh, it says, um, looking at this article here, um, scrolling down here, um, it says reigning UFC bandweight champion Aljamain Sterling recently told his YouTube followers that his next 135-pound defense would come against a former division kingpin Henry Cejudo as part of the UFC 288 fight card. However, promotion released on Tuesday mentioned had no mention of their pending battle. Is Cejudo waffling? And so Sean O'Malley tweeted, can't wait for May 6th. Sterling quotes the tweet saying, facts, the turd isn't making up his mind. Be ready, my guy. This is a fight the fans really want to see anyway. So I, I I guess it's up in the air. Yeah. 
I mean, what do you think it, happens? I mean, look, if the UFC is announcing kickers are on sale and they don't have a main event, that to me tells me that one side of this main away title fight just hasn't side on the dotted line yet, and it would seem that that, that would be Cejudo. But Cejudo has entered into the USADA drug testing program, but but to for this point is like this is where this division is really going to play out over the next couple of weeks of you know especially with because you would imagine that whoever wins a Vera Sanhagen matchup is going to be right there um, in terms of a title matchup and, and how this division kind of does play out here. But that, that's the key matchup here. Um, you know, Volkov and Romanov is a very interesting heavyweight matchup. You know, when you were talking earlier in the show about who are kind of the heavyweights that could give John Jones maybe some issues at heavyweight. Romanov is potentially one of those guys if he can get his cardio squared away. This is a guy that we have seen where if you can get this guy into the mid, late second, early third round, the cardio has not been there. And now he's taking on a vet in Volkov. It's going to be, it's one of those things with Romanoff. Like you almost kind of want to see, does he have a 15 minute gas tank? Because right now, signs say he does. He doesn't. Yeah, that's what we've seen out of him. Volkov's very difficult to finish. So he's probably going to take this 15 in my mind. And so we're going to get a, get an answer. I don't think we're going to see a dramatic change, though, in the cardio of Romanov. But you're right in that he has a really great attributes in the cage and upside. I mean, I think he wins this fight. It's a good matchup. I mean, straight up, the top three fights in this fight night are awesome. They really are. They're good matchups in their weight classes. But for Romanov, if he's going to get to the championship fight – this is a great fight for him because Volkov is someone who's very much a standard bear for the heavyweight class. You get past him, you're probably an elite heavyweight. You don't, you may not necessarily be a top 10 dude. It's kind of like at, at women's 125 pounds. If you can get past Caitlin Chikagian, you're, you're a bona fide contender. Exactly. That's kind of where Volkov is, man. It, it really, you know, he, he's, he's got solid stand up. His cardio is pretty good. Obviously, the first thing you think about him is how freaking tall he is. Uh, solid clinch work. I, 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 you know, it's a good little scrap. Yeah, you know, the Krylov Span fight, I think Ryan Span's one of the more interesting underdogs this week. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate, kind of the way that thing played out two weeks ago. Just, it's, it was funny that he's like, hey, yeah, he goes, I was uh, doing a P test for USADA when they came in and told me my fight was canceled. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sucks for like, him. Like, how, like, that's one of those things I go. Okay, how does this work? Who's the yeah. person the UFC goes, hey, Ryan, I get you're taking a piss, man, but uh, your fight's off? I mean, how long was he peeing for? Maybe he, maybe, maybe he was just sitting there for a long time because you would think you could take a, you could take a, well, a okay. moment to wait. I've heard stories where particularly after a fight is over that USADA comes in to do a post-fight drug test and it's, you know, it's a pee test and sometimes they're in there a long time because the fighter is just having to consume so much water to be able to go to the bathroom. Wow. That's surprising. I feel like I would have to pee a lot after I fight because I feel like I'm getting a lot of fluids like in between rounds, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a, that must've been what happened. He must've just been chilling there for a very long time, but yeah, he gets the fight here. Um, God, I, I liked, I like him as a dog too. I mean, I liked him straight up, but you put into account that Krylov was battling food poisoning, has had rough weeks lead into this fight. I like Spain here. I think the biggest thing I like about Ryan in this fight, 
is his power. And I think that's going to play a role in him getting the victory over Krylov. My, my question with Ryan Spann, I think it's, it's kind of like the Romanov question, is, is I do wonder about, you know, if the fight hits past the seven-and-a-half-minute mark, how's that cardio there? I mean, we, we've seen what he can do early on in the fight, and it would not surprise me if Krylov does go to, uh, you know, the grappling round of this one. But, of course, now this is a 15-minute fight as opposed to a 25-minute fight. Uh, also, this fight card, by the way, should uh, should talk about some news kind of broke a little bit earlier on. Um, Carlson Harris, who was supposed to have a matchup, his opponent pulled out, and Armaga Madoff pulled out of this fight card. Uh, Jared Gooden is returning to the UFC to take this matchup here. So that fight card, that fight just got announced here just within the past hour or so. Uh, you know, some other uh, matchups that stick out to me, uh, Syed Armaga Madoff, Jonathan Martinez. Uh, I was speaking with one of Jonathan Martinez's teammates, at Factory X, and we, we were talking about how Jonathan's talked about this publicly. He said, he goes, he's more nervous to do an interview than he is to actually go in there and fight. He just, he's just, he's a soft-spoken guy, and uh, Markwell Medeiros, who I had on Sunday's podcast, he was he was talking about one time where uh, Coach Montoya tells Jonathan to break down the team to end practice, and uh, he's like, and he goes, he goes, Jonathan gets to me, he goes, all right, guys, great practice. One, two, three, team. And Mark Montoya's like, he goes, bro, this ain't a whispering contest. Oh, that's hilarious. I, that is, you know, uh, I think there's quite a few people that can relate to that. And it's got to be intimidating to have that personality. And then you got to talk to Joe Rogan in the middle of the octagon. But he's looking to get there. And uh, I don't think he's going to because Saeed is really freaking good, man. Saeed is, is a really good talent. Yeah, that's that's a nice matchup there. Uh, by the Dude, way, if, I, I got something. I got something for you, real quick. Yeah, yeah. This is. I just randomly noticed this, and I thought this was very interesting. So Guido Canetti and Mario Batista. Yes, is a fight where clearly Batista should be a favorite. But I look at the best fight odds. This is interesting. There's a forty-seven point nine percent movement in the odds from when it opened. When it opened. Guido was plus 285 when it closed. He's plus 600 when it opened. Mario was minus 350 when it closed. He was minus 1100. That's very interesting. I mean, you look at Guido's entire career here on a best fight odds. The only other time the line moved, the, the second biggest movement in line was plus 22%. So for a line to move nearly 50% from opening till now, I just noticed that. And I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, this was actually a matchup that was supposed to take place back in August of 2021, but uh, it was canceled when Mario Batista tested positive for COVID. Uh, you know, Guido's won two in a row, but it's now against fighters who are no longer in the UFC and Randy Costa and, and Chris Montino. You know, prior to that, he had lost three in a row. Um, one of those losses was against Marlon Vera. He just he's not had a great run in the UFC. I mean, Mario Batista should be the favorite, but yeah, when when I saw that he was a ten to one betting favorite, that one uh, definitely stuck out to me there. By the way, I don't know if you saw this story about uh, Dumas who's taking on Josh Frim on this card. This was a uh, it was on Twitter about uh, about two weeks ago. So I guess some an MMA podcast reached out to him and was trying to get them on his show. And uh, yeah, he, he asked for a hundred dollars to appear on the show. Really? Yeah. That is crazy. And, that, and yeah. The most interesting thing is, you know, cause the whole thing, what was weird about it was in the podcast, share the DM and 
and that's kind of a weird situation. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, a DM. But then, uh, I, so uh, Dumas is represented by first round management, and Abe over there, first round management, I uh, tweet somebody goes, he goes, hey, if you want to interview him, just hit me up. I'll get you the interview. <laughs> Which is probably one of those things of Dumas probably, I'm guessing there was probably some interaction between the two of them that made him not want to be on that podcast. And maybe that's why he, uh, it's not, you know, I would never pay to have someone on my podcast. Just not something yeah. I would do. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, $100 for Dumas seems like a steep price for an MA interview. You know? Um, my guy Tyson Nam's on this preliminary card. So, you know, Tyson Nam's fighting, man. That's always got to be, that's always going to be interesting to me. He's taking on Bruno Silva. Of course, uh, Bruno, uh, he has won back to back fights uh, in the UFC after uh, dropping two in a row, coming off that win against Victor Rodriguez. That should be a, uh, that should be a fun stylistic, you know, striking matchup. That could be fun. I was actually kind of surprised to see that's actually, uh, well, before the addition of uh, Good and Harrison, uh, that was listed as a first fight of the night. I was kind of surprised it was that. Um, that low on the fight card, which yeah. Tyson Nam may like. He might go screw it, man. Go in and uh, by the way, I had um, I had Joe Selecki on the podcast on Sunday, and uh, he so you know he won a performance of the night bonus two weeks ago, and uh, you know I'm asking kind of how it played out. He's like he's like yeah man we, we you know paraphrasing what he says like we leave the building we're going to dinner I see the first two rounds of Muniz and Allen and I'm like I'm in good shape I'm in good shape and he goes and then right when he pulled that submission I was like. <laughs> and then he goes, we're sitting at dinner, and he goes, my manager, Jason House, says, uh, hey, you got the bonus. Hell yeah. 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 That uh, That's funny, right? Maybe if you have a badass fight to start off the card, you're just hoping that the rest of the card sucks, don't you? Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've had that conversation with Flyers. I'll say, like, man, like, it, then it becomes, like, the longest six hours of your life. He goes, it's like, he's like, he's like, look, man, you always want to see fights be, you know, exciting and whatnot. But he goes, when you go out and have that exciting fight, you want the rest of the fights to be done. Yeah, you want it to. If you have the first fight of the night and your fight is kind of exciting, you're just hoping for now the most boring UFC fight card of all time. Because, yeah. So I, I retweeted this yesterday. Did you see um, the Sadiq Youssef breakdown for this card? No, what did he say? Dude, it's so. His breakdowns are goddamn hilarious. I'm watching it. And he gets to the Davy Grant fight. He zooms in on Davy Grant's photo, and he goes, "Yeah, that's a 135 pound version of Jack Hermanson." Look at Davy Grant, then go look at picture of Jack Hermanson. I'm like, "Holy crap, he is right. They do look like each other." It's yeah. I mean, I'm just already looking at Davy, and yeah, I mean, damn. Yeah, no. Yeah, if you you go identical. He also pointed out something I had not noticed before. You know when the UFC doesn't have a picture of a fighter, you go to their, their website and it's like the the blank picture. Yeah. So Carl Williams has got that picture this week. Sadiq pointed out who the image looks like. I don't know if you if you have it pulled up on UFC.com yet or not. Let me pull it up real quick. Let me let me uh I, I want you to, to look at it. I'm not gonna like sit here and say who who is it, but when I say who he claims it looks like Oh I damn, was they like took away, they took away uh they took away the uh, Carl Williams now has a picture. Oh oh mine he does oh he mine he does not have a picture. But it literally it looks like a silhouette of Michael Bisping. Oh, I need to, uh, I need to, 
I need to look for someone who doesn't have a picture. I'm I'm currently looking. I, I just did. This. I just did a screenshot. I'm gonna let me uh, let me crop this thing out so you don't see all my goddamn screen here since I'm on a, a widescreen TV here. Uh, but when, when I'm gonna send it to you and when oh, you oh I see it. Tell me that does not look like Michael Bisping. Yeah, it does. You know, it, it does. Uh, uh, I kind of wait. Maybe I'm looking at a different picture. Mine looks like Matt Sarah. Let me, let, me, um, let me let me look. Send me the send me the screenshot. Uh, I'm looking at one, and to me, it looks like Matt Serra when he was fighting the UFC, not currently, because uh, this dude looks bald. Yeah, I just texted to you. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, bald, bald. yeah, it's the ears. That's what it is. You, you, it's the ears. It's a bald Michael Bisping. Yeah, it looks straight up just like Michael Bisping. I saw that when when he did that. Uh, anyone who has not seen that, I retweeted it uh, yesterday. Um, it's called the Unprofessional Breakdown, and it is, dude, it is so goddamn hilarious. I mean, it's one of the best things on MMA Twitter. I mean, it it truly is. It's on his YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to check out that, but uh, you know, look, I, I will I will not be watching the preliminary card live. I'll have to watch that after. In fact, by the time I get home from the game, and I'm sure. Beverages will be consumed. Yeah. So it could be a potential. I don't, I don't watch this entire fight card till Sunday. <laughs> yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want to unwind, have some fun, and then you can kind of focus in on a Sunday morning with the coffee. And yeah. I, 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 like. I will watch the, the Bellator fight card live on, on, uh, on Saturday, on Friday night, I, I'm going to sit home on Friday night. I'm going to watch that thing. Uh, let's get in some uh, some news and notes to kind of wrap up this episode. Of course, appreciate everyone tuning in for the podcast. Of course, uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. If you're watching us here on YouTube, leave a comment uh, about maybe something myself or Daniel have said here on the show. Uh, you know, we had a question, I guess, about a week or two ago from a listener talking about could Bellator get into the flyweight division business? And it was announced today for the fight card in Hawaii on April 22nd, Ray Borg, Koji Horiguchi. Is going to be at 125 pounds. I mentioned here how Scott Coker frames this one when when he talks to the media this week of are they getting into the flyweight division? I I still think that's not a bright move by by Bellator, but you know I, I wouldn't be totally against. It. I just I just wonder could you really develop a division? Yeah, I don't think they could. Uh, I just don't believe that there's that many great flyweights outside the UFC to make it work. With that being said, Ray Borg and Kyoji Horiguchi is one hell of a fight. You know, it is one hell of a fight, but I just don't know how many more great flyweight matchups they could do outside of that one. Uh, other news, Dan Hooker says USADA has visited him more frequently since he accused Islam Mahachev of using an IV. Yeah, uh, this, it's this funny how like, things like that work. This is like in other sports when some player goes off or some great game and then they, they tweet out a screenshot. Hey, man. Yeah, I'm getting drug tested now. I wonder why. Yeah, Dame Lillard, when he put up 71, got drug tested after that game. Couldn't even enjoy it because he, had, a, he had, a, had to get drug tested. And in fact, I think he got blood tested. They, they took his blood, if I, oh, wow. if I remember that correctly. And he hates needles. So, yeah, uh, for Dan Hooker. I'm not a needle guy either, bro. Yeah, maybe. Last time I, I I got some dental work done a couple of years ago, and they they had to they put put me out, and they're you know, and they you know they they find it and uh, and they're like, oh, do you want to let us know when I put it in? I go, nope, I'm turning my head. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to think about it. It's uh, it's rough. I mean, you know, even getting the COVID shot, that was tough, but uh, you know, had to do it, but yeah, I just had to look away and let it happen. I, look, same, same thing. I, I, I looked away. I felt it, but I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to see it. It's not bad when it's in there. Like, uh, it's just a nice little prick, but yeah, man, it's all about that insertion. You know, um, there's like a real fear of needles. And when I worked in TV news, they actually told me when I was editing video, you can't show video of a needle getting inserted in a skin because some people are like deathly afraid of that. That literally makes them like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, uh, you saw this. Um, so this was back on February 21st, JJ Watts, here's a screenshot. He uh, tweeted, he goes, I don't know what happens when you click report junk, but I think I'm about to find out. And it was a text. It said, this is Dylan on behalf of the NFL. You have been selected for a high, high HGH dry blood spot test. Please give me a call or shoot me a text when you can. Thank you. Apparently the NFL has gotten a note that he retired. Hey man, maybe he's going to do an MMA retirement and come back. And the funniest thing was AJ Dillon of the Packers responds to him goes this is not the way i wanted to meet <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome yeah i mean but i mean look it's one of the things and i've been trying to kind of reach out to some people that would have a better understanding of this because i think because of what happened or the allegations from ufc 284 has kind of become this this really question mark of you know I just remember when IVs were banned, the whole thought process from USADA was because it can be used to mask performance enhancing drugs. And now there's a, a, you know, a small amount that a fire an athlete is, is willing to take here. But like, look, I'm not really shocked that Dan Hooker magically has just got started getting tested more and more, but like he's got a broken arm. Like, what do you think? He's going to yeah. bulk up to 190 pounds now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's probably random, but sometimes it really feels like it isn't. It really feels like there, there's some reason behind it, but it probably is random. But uh, it's also something maybe you notice it more often <laughs> whenever now, you've, you've criticized them. Now, I will tell you, my WTF story of this week has to be, once again, it's kind of related toward how our sport is covered. And so I see the story of May Junkie about a Nick Diaz quote on wanting to fight. And in the article, it says, quote, I'm asking to fight as soon as possible. Diaz told Inside Fighting, not John's though, not John Jones, though. Yes, something like that. Princes, Israel Asayan or Alex Brahea, close princes, always want to fight the best. Now, Junkie does link to the article, but it's a YouTube video that they could have just easily sat there and embedded the interview into the story. And this goes along the lines of, this is why, like, I, I go back to my start in media, why a lot of people, why I prefer like radio podcast interviews, because you can hear the question and hear the answer. And I'm going to let you hear this audio. And boy, does it paint a little bit of a different picture than the way the written story comes out. When can fans expect you back? Um, I'm, I'm asking to fight as soon as possible. Soon as can? Are you the man? Yeah. All right, we love I'm you, Nick. Jones, but you, you want like an Izzy or a Pereira at 185? Yeah, yeah. You want Izzy? Like that. Yeah, that's fine, you know. Um, you want the champ I, at middleweight? I just want to fight the best, you know. Right. The, you know. Right. Come at John Jones or anything. 
Hey, well, you're looking in shape and you're looking strong. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nick. You're the man. Once again, Daniel, once you hear that audio, the quote is much different. No, it's completely different. Like, it's complete. That is literally the way that was written. Anyone reading the article would think that Nick Diaz suggested that he wants Pereira or Adesanya. That's not what he said at all. I've I've never look. I'm a journalism guy. I've worked in TV journalism. I've gone to school, taking journalism classes. When you do quotations in parentheses in a quote, that is like putting in a word that the person implied or something of that nature, not what someone else is saying to the person. Yeah, dude, this is screwed up. This article, it's it's really screwed up and. Shocker, it's got 27 comments. You know, it's got feedback. I'm glad you did the due diligence to double check because had I just seen this quote, I just would assume Nick Diaz is off his rocker calling out the middleweight champion after he lost to Robbie. Yeah, it, it's one of those things of I, I, I see the because I, I think I initially saw it on Instagram and I just like, you know, because kind of the thing we see now is like a fighter picture with what the quote of what they allegedly said. And I saw a link. I'm like, oh, let me click the link and then I can play the audio on the podcast. And then when I hear this audio, I'm like, oh, that that quote was definitely. And and, and I've had fighters, various people in this industry talk about how, you know, things are taken out of context to get people to click a link. And I, I just saw that. And, and once I heard it, I was like, God damn it. But then like me and you were having the conversation before the show. Who should Nick Diaz fight? Yeah, when I'm looking at Nick Diaz, this is a guy who is almost 40 years old, super past his prime, but still very good. Didn't look amazing at all in his fight against Robbie. So I want to match him up against someone who isn't a killer. And I'm looking at this middleweight division. I'm looking at big names. People with name value. Maybe this can headline a show. And the one fight that stuck out to me, it may not be the most exciting matchup, but former middleweight champion Chris Weidman versus Nick Diaz would be the fight that I would make. You know, Kelvin Gassman is another name that stuck out to me. He's got a fight next month against Chris Curtis at UFC 287. Like, Kevin Gassam, I think, would be kind of another similar type opponent to put him up against because, you know, I mean, look, look, if I'm, I'm talking about, you know, trying to put together a fun fight with Nick Diaz, I'm not really trying to find someone that's going to want to wrestle F him. Yeah, I mean, realistic, yeah, exactly. And, and that's why maybe a fight against Sean Strickland could be interesting. You know, the pre-fight hype would be crazy. The biggest money fight is obvious. So so what you're saying is you would have to put that, you know, the, the UFC embedded Strickland versus Diaz on Rumble? That would probably be the only place that could allow some of the profanity we would hear. The biggest money fight in the future for Nick is obvious. Um, it's Connor. Connor loses to Michael Chandler, which he probably will. Sign me up for Connor McGregor versus Nick Diaz. Yeah, I'd be down for that one. That would be your pay per view main event. It would make a crap load of money. Yeah, and and the only problem is Nick obviously wants to fight soon, and that fight won't happen soon. You know, you still have to wait for Connor and Chandler, and yeah, I have a well, feeling Chandler. Yeah, well, I think Connor hasn't entered USADA drug testing pool yet. So, really? yeah, I I believe the last update did not have any tests for him. 
Holy crap. That's surprising. So he's got to be in the pool six months. Wow. The other I, thing, yeah. I, um, another thing I'll mention, I was listening to uh, Bisbing and Anthony Smith's podcast last week with Darren Till. Very fascinating interview listening to Darren Till. You could definitely tell a guy that kind of just, he almost sounds burnt out. And I'm guessing it's burnt out from the injuries. Yeah, he's had so much adversity, and and that adversity really stings when you show so much promise, which is what he did to start off his run. And I feel for him. I really hope okay. he's in a better place. Nick Diaz, Darren Till. Yeah, if he was a part of the UFC, that would be the fight to make because that would be a super entertaining war on the feet. Like It's one of these things I wonder. If you're a UFC athlete and you're going to be – you know, you're going to be out for some time due to an injury. Do you just kind of tell the UFC, hey, I'm retired, just so you don't have to worry about the whole USADA drug testing stuff and you can just kind of live your life? Yeah, you can. Uh, because part cheat. of the USADA drug testing program is you got to tell them where you're at at all times in case they want yeah. to drug test you. Yeah, that sounds really annoying. I can't imagine doing that, you know. Maybe you should I, just share your location with them. But yeah, that's I, yeah, I never that's I'll, I'll never forget the story Dustin Jacoby told me that he um so in his whereabout policy, he you know, obviously he lives a very structured life of okay, I, I'm at this gym from this time to this time, this gym, you know, so on and so forth. And so uh his strength and conditioning is always the first thing he does in the morning. He does it at six AM and uh, at Landau's. And he uh he was running late that day <laughs> and he gets a text with the USADA guy, hey man. I'm here at Landau's. Um, you got you be here or what? He's like, ah, oh, sorry, man. I'm running a little bit behind. We've got about 10 minutes. He's like, okay, cool. No problem. But that's how a whereabouts policy failure comes from. If you remember, it's been a while since we've seen kind of this noted, but Nick Diaz, I think was actually one of them who got suspended for, he had three whereabout policy violations. That is surprising. That is really crazy. Could, okay. No, no, Like we, we were talking about, you know, before shows MMA documentaries. How about if you had a fight pass show? Where you get to follow the USADA drug testing guy that's got to go see Nick Diaz. Yeah. yeah what do you think like that's a, like, you know, ringing that doorbell or, or knocking on Nick's door to try to get him to do a drug test? I would love to see that show. I mean, that sounds like Dog the Bounty Hunter in terms of trying to find something, right? Trying to find Nick Diaz to take a drug test is like trying to find Bigfoot. Uh, it's difficult. But, yeah, I think that's a fun little show, you know? Maybe you can put Matt Sarah and Dean Thomas as their co-host with the USADA drug tester to crack some jokes along the way. And I think you got yourself some good content on Fight Pass. Look, Dana, we're over here just giving you an idea. I mean, could you imagine Nick opens the door and he's just got two nunchucks in his hand and he's doing the nunchuck thing? That, yeah, and just a bunch of smoke comes out. <laughs> it, it would be, I'm telling you, it would be absolutely fascinating to do like a sit-down 30-minute conversation with USADA drug tester. Mm-hmm. Like he probably hates his job. For, for my very first question would be, how did you get into this line of work? He's like, I looked it up on, I looked up jobs on Indeed, and I came across this, and I'm probably going to quit next week because this sucks. But uh, I don't know. Probably maybe it pays good. You know, maybe I should look into being a USADA drug tester. Do you think they go, they go to hospitals? You know, because obviously I know how to draw blood. Mm-hmm. But then the whole you know, like, but then you got to watch the person pee. Like, Daniel, could you imagine you're you know you know obviously you're not a single man, you got a girl, 
But let's yeah. say you were a single guy. You work for your side in the Rio Grande. You're out on a Friday night. You know, you know, you're trying to, you know, you know, run a little game. She goes, "Hey, what do you do? What do you say?" I work in the medical field. Because, <laughs> like, then how do you how do you describe? Yeah, so you know, part of my job is you know I do drug tests. You know, we do you know I, I gotta you know take blood. Oh yeah, and I gotta watch a guy pee. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, I love watching those videos." I'm like, "All right, we are ending the date now." Yeah, that you know, that's just it's a part. It's a part of being a doctor. You know, you just gotta be not a doctor, but part of the medical field. You gotta be desensitized to things that me and you, average Joes, would think is hilarious or or weird or uncomfortable. But for these guys, it's probably the same way. you know, someone looks at like a dead body, those people who work in funeral homes. I mean, they probably are so desensitized, like they're uh, just chilling with a dead body, but on their mind, they're just thinking about what they're going to get from Subway for lunch because it's just another day in the office. And that's probably what it's like for the USADA tester, right? They're looking at someone's ding dong and they're just thinking about what they're going to get from Applebee's later. It, it makes me think about this was, and this is probably. This was in the first couple of years of me traveling with the Bucks. And so one of the head security guys was a lead detective with the Tampa Police Department. And he and we're a group. He goes, hey, guys, go over here. We're like, what's up, man? What's up, Henry? He goes, hey, do I smell like smoke? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, you do. He goes, yeah, I was at an arson this morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That's he's like, I promise I wasn't smoking out before the gig. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah, wow. that's yeah. That that's one of those things. Like, like I love watching the first forty-eight. That's like one of my go-to shows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could not do that job, man. That's no, it's a crazy job, crazy job, crazy hours. You never know when you're needed, and usually it's in the middle of the night. Uh, but you know, it's it's exciting. It's it's a lot more exciting than a normal desk job pushing paper and doing nothing. That's very true. That's very true. You know, it's uh, yeah. but yeah, man, I'm I'm looking forward to Bellator on Friday night. Um, you know, checking out the UFC probably on Sunday, most likely. That's that's probably the reality of that situation. It's, you got to be honest with yourself. The yeah. odds of me being at home by six o'clock East Coast time to start watching that main card live, give it a thirty percent chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe I mean, too yeah. high. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's good to unwind. It's good to have a great time. We have a mixed martial arts card every single weekend without fail. It's not always a UFC card. It could be other promotions. But regardless, every week of the year, there's something going on on a Friday or a Saturday. So yeah. as a mixed martial arts consumer, you gotta you got to make that decision. What am I watching live? What am I watching on tape? Because in addition to loving mixed martial arts, man, it's important to have a life. I, I will tell you, I struggled with that early on in my MMA reporting career. Yeah. I, 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 think very, I, very, I very much had that mentality of like fights are going on. I'll be watching. As, yeah. as I got older, I kind of realized like, no, I don't got to watch all this, all this live, especially, the, you, one, especially the cars that you don't care for. Yep. And as you got older, the, the quantity of cards also changed too. Oh, Jesus. It, 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 it changed dramatically. Yeah. I mean, I remember, God, I want to say, I mean, you talk, if, I mean, I got covering a sport back in 2009. At that point, the UFC was probably running, what, 30, maybe 35 events a year, maybe? Yeah. I mean, yeah, now, yeah. I, th- I mean, I mean, God, I mean, it's, I mean, maybe there's three or four or five weeks a year where we don't have a UFC, some type of UFC card. 
Yep. If it's you if you start count if you start counting in contender series into that aspect. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's oversaturation by a whole lot. But you know, that's how we've changed as consumers. It's changed from everything has to be seen live to I'm going to pick and choose. A la but carte. I, I feel like for the most part though, pay-per-views are still must watch. Because yeah. I mean they they've I mean you look at these pay-per-view cards. They they stack the deck. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, you know, I don't watch some of them live because I have to, I have a schedule where I have things to do. You know, I have wrestling training, so I got to get a good night's rest for the day ahead. And then that's like in the afternoon. So when I'm doing this wrestling training, I'm not watching it live. I regret it, but I, I make a concerted effort to, to not look at my phone before I watch the fights because I never know who's going to text me. And that's what makes the event that much more exciting is when you don't know the result of these big superstar fights. It's amazing when you see Alexa Grasso pull off the rear naked choke. Had I known that before that fight, the moment of watching that happen would not have been the same. The same for John Jones' big win. And that's what makes the pay-per-views must-watch live is – the moment when the crazy crap happens and you didn't know it was coming, it's something you will never forget. So I'll never forget where I was with a coffee in my hand at a Holiday Inn when Alexa <laughs> Grasso becomes a flyweight champion. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've all kind of had those moments, yeah. it's. Uh... Oh, you know what sucks at a Holiday Inn, man, is when you wake up to get your breakfast, you feel like crap. You get your eggs, you get your sausage, you get the coffee cup. You click the coffee faucet and there's no coffee in there. And then you just are like, this day sucks. I'm not a coffee guy, so that would Oh, me. you aren't? Oh my gosh. I, I'm I've I've never been a coffee guy. Wow. I, I mean, like I, I may have a cup three times a year, maybe. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't know how you you're a big energy drink guy though, so uh Celsius is is uh is my go to now. Okay. Yeah. I've got, Isn't I've got, like, like, yeah, pretty much my, my, my daily routine is that I'll do uh usually a Celsius. I'll, I'll do some propel. I'll do some Gatorade, Coke zero. I kind of mix it out all throughout the day. Well, maybe you can join the Celsius class action lawsuit. Oh, I'd love to get that flow right up settlement. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Flow rider. Yeah. Don't got to do anything for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That, uh, it was an 80 was million guy? Yeah. Let me see. The question is, does he collect the 80 million? That that to me is the big question. It's like well, back in the day when Joe Romero won that case against um the, the supplement company, which I mean it was some crazy number that he that he won. And it was like, yeah, but will he actually collect the money? Yeah, well, he, he says he's gonna donate it to charity. Wow. If you're donating eighty million dollars to charity, he's got a crap ton of money in the bank. Yeah. Crap that is, ton of yeah. Wow. Wow, that is yeah. Yeah. Man. I I mean and look, I would love to be in, look, I would love to be at a place in my life where I could give eighty million dollars to a charity and it's no big deal. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there, my man. One podcast at a time. All right, one podcast at a time. We'll get there. Yeah, of course. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for the podcast. Of course, new episodes come out two times a week on your favorite podcasting platform, RadioInfluence.com. And I'll have a next episode come out on Sunday, which will 
I'll have a quartet of fire interviews, including Daniel Strauss. 